Let us pray and we will start. Father God, we're grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to open your word. As we once again look at your holiness, look at your grace, kindness, and mercy, as you revealed yourself to us on the pages of the Bible, and specifically on the pages of the book of Leviticus. We pray that you give us your grace as we study the text today, as we come in a very close proximity, not only with the beauty and glory of God's holiness, but also with the danger of God's holiness. Help us to have a sober thinking, and I pray that your spirit would convict us, will encourage us, and will build us up, that we will be like Christ, who is perfectly holy, and yet fully human and fully God. May we exalt him as we even study Leviticus. Amen. So in our study uh, through Leviticus, so far we have covered really one key concept, and we will continue to focus on this key concept, which is holiness. Thank you. So the book of Leviticus was given really as the manual to the people of Israel when they were getting ready to enter the promised land. It was never intended for them to receive Leviticus and live out Leviticus at Sinai. So this is really the manual and how it is going to be practiced or we should continue to read the rest of the Old Testament. And so that this is really uh, our point as we trying to go through Leviticus and maybe a little bit faster, but as we will uh, cover uh, other passages in the Old Testament, we will try to reference back as to what God has instructed. So the, the purpose of the book of Leviticus, and I keep bringing this slide so we will remember it. Uh, because uh, maybe you will not remember everything else, but you will remember the key truth of Leviticus. is God's holiness, and the purpose is to instruct the nation of Israel how she must live and worship as God's chosen people. There is an expectation for Israel that was not for Egypt, because God chose the nation of Israel to be his own uh, nation set apart uh, for his purposes, that they would worship him. This is really why Exodus even came to be. Um, so the brief outline of Leviticus, really two key points, the way to approach God and the way to walk with God. So we have to approach God through appropriate worship and we walk with God through obedient lifestyle. Um, so today we're going to jump in straight into chapter 10 of Leviticus and uh, we're going to read the text and actually, for the context purposes, I want us to read uh, Leviticus 9, 22 and 24, and then we'll read uh, Leviticus 10, first three verses. I will ask Ryan if you would be so kind to read. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 and 24. You may remember that for people of Israel, this was not the first time they experienced the presence and really the appearance of God's glory. 
they have seen that at Mount Sinai, when Lord appeared in a really terrifying fire with thunders and earthquake. So people were so terrified, we read in Exodus 19 and 20, that they told Moses, you speak to God. We do not want God to speak directly to us. So again, the same response. You remember in Exodus chapter 40, when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, even Moses was not able to enter into God's presence. Once again, God reveals himself. And in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 6, Moses told Aaron, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So we read here, as Aaron and his sons are ordained for priests, God appeared, and his appearance was through, um, as his glory appeared through the fire and consumed the entire offering. So we continue chapter 10, and chapter 10 really, there is no break between 9 and 10. So that's why I wanted us to think about as we read chapter 10. Ryan, if you could continue, please. We're going to pause here and really focus on these three verses for the rest of our study today. But as you can see immediately, uh, the continuation of ordination and ordination week is taking place here in chapter 10. So before we dive in, I wanted to bring back to something we've covered really last week, uh, last two weeks, a principle of 10, when we consider passages from the Old Testament or New Testament even. How do we glean from the scriptures? How do we glean from the Bible? When Leviticus seemed to be so remote and many of us tend to skip or quickly overlook and glance over, how do we glean the truths that would bless our own hearts? Well, this principle of 10, um, something that I've learned and just really simplified way, uh, T stands for then. What took place then during the Leviticus, during Moses' time? We need to go back and Uh, look at the context, geography, the culture, customs, and really what happened then. And oftentimes, what happened then stays then. We uh, tend to be very, uh, sometimes uh, trying to apply certain truths that that should stay then. We try to carry them over uh, to our day and age. Uh, One of the great examples, probably um, washing of feet, There are some churches that continue to practice washing of feet. Um, Even though in John chapter 13, Jesus did to his disciples, uh, I have not seen churches who would wash their feet on the second floor because that's where event took place. So we apply one concept, ignoring everything else. And so the principle then needs to be clearly understood before we start applying. Then what is eternal? 
So there are certain eternal truths. And if I, I use John 13, Jesus said, uh, you shall do it to one another as I did to you. He sets an example, humbling himself because disciples are debating who is going to be the first. This is their focal point. But Jesus says, um, well, you have not learned the lesson. Let me demonstrate it to you. And we would think, okay, how does it apply now to us? Uh, Maybe not applying really to Eastridge Baptist because most of us or all of us are very humble servants and we serve one another gladly. Or do we? Um, no, the truth is really applies to us. We still called to serve one another and to humble ourselves because this is not our natural tendency. We don't gravitate to humility. So Jesus' example in John 13 is a very clear example. And then later in the Philippians chapter 2, it will be reinforced again and in other passages. So as we approach the text of the scripture, either Old Testament or New Testament, we want to approach it prayerfully. We want to expect to work hard. Ladies, yesterday you brought a lot of coloring pens and you did a lot of work. And in order to glean the truth from the text, we need to have that expectation. We need to work diligently and apply ourselves. So the passages in Proverbs and Job is illustration of those who go down beneath the surface of the earth to find precious gems. Another question we want to ask, and this is something we want to ask today, why the Holy Spirit who authored the scripture placed this specific text for me, addressing really my fallen humanity? Why Holy Spirit purposed this text here? So as we consider these principles, let us go back and I encourage you to have your Bibles open on Leviticus 10. So we have covered so far that uh, priests, Aaron with his four sons, they're entering God's service. So what was the context as this Leviticus 10 is given to us? Well, as we have learned, Israel was at Mount Sinai. They left Egypt in about 11 months or probably 10 months, they are at Mount Sinai. Uh, so they are being trained. This is the really uh, booth camp or training ground for them before they enter the promised land where they're going to face and encounter people who are deeply religious and their religiosity is completely foreign to God. So they will be instrument both of judgment and blessing to all the nations. So God is preparing them and gives them this instruction what it means to be holy people. This narrative, it's interesting, in Leviticus, there are only two narratives. Uh, The rest is instruction. So whenever we encounter in the text uh, a narrative when everything else is instruction, uh, the author is calling our attention. We need to pause and consider it. There is something very special is being addressed here. So we need to uh, shift to maybe second gear from our uh, driving through the Leviticus super fast and slow down and understand, okay, this is very important for us. Um, another important principle that we've already covered in Exodus is that God gave detailed instructions to Moses and then through Moses to uh, people who would build the, uh, the tabernacle, prepare all the furniture and clothing and the materials. And he gives those detailed instructions for the priests. So Exodus 28 through 30 and 39, they give us uh, that background. Leviticus 10 is taking place really uh, after the week of ordination. You remember that 
uh, God instructed Aaron with his four sons, including uh, Nahab and Abihu, to be present within the court of the tabernacle. They should remain, they should not leave that, that area. So this text is really taking, comes on the heels of uh, their ordination week. And what was the role of the priests in the Israel? They were called to minister to God, to atone for people of God. So this is really what we come, here, come as we observe this text and as we're trying to learn uh, the truths that are given to us in this text. So who were Nadab and Abihu? They were sons of Aaron. How many sons did Aaron have? So they were uh, two out of four, and they would be the oldest, two oldest sons. It is interesting. So we can read that in Exodus chapter 6, verses 23. Uh, in Exodus 24, verses 1, and then 9, and 11, we read, um, if you remember, Exodus 24 deals with uh, ratification or establishment of the old covenant when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai and people said, whatever the Lord will say, we will do. So there was a ceremony. In the beginning of the ceremony, in chapter 24, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at the distance. And then if we scroll down to verses 9 and 11, we read, then Moses went up with Aaron. So this is after the ceremony of Old Testament, uh, the covenant establishment. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there, were a, a, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Notice the description in this text about Nadab and Abihu. They were not unexperienced fellows who were chosen by the congregation, by the vote. It says, okay, we designate this gentleman to be our priest. No. It is God who chose them. But notice in, in, uh, in this text in chapter 24, verses 9 and 11, they were among the nobles. They were, uh, by this time, they were distinguished and they were part of the leading group of the nation of Israel. So they come and they have this special experience of certain spiritual privileges, their closeness uh, and fellowship with God. You remember when and somebody would bring a peace offering. This is, they could eat in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord would not strike them. This is something that they experience. So they should have known. They have been, I mean, God has given them such a wonderful, amazing experiences. So as they enter into God's service, we read here in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, that they were performing priestly duties. So they would bring uh, the burnt uh, incense on the golden altar. And the text tells us that they offered a strange fire before the Lord. And again, this phrase, before the Lord or in his presence, in face of the Lord. 
So whatever they offered, and this is really an, an illustration, even though uh, this slide shows only one priest, but we can imagine that they would come from the outside and they would come inside to burn incense on the golden altar that would be positioned right before the veil that would separate holy of holies and holy. This is the closest the priest would, would come. So as they enter God's service, we also read that the fire from the presence of the Lord consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. So as they came to serve before the Lord, they died before the Lord in His presence. And I want you to, uh, at this point, I know many of us will probably pause and be shocked, but I, I want us to keep reading because God, through Moses, gives immediate explanation. So what was the explanation in verse 3? I, I want us to, to realize, first of all, that God gives an answer. Yahweh gives an answer to this case. Second, in his answer, God says that for those who come near to me, I shall be treated as holy. I shall be regarded as holy. So God, he demands holiness from those who would come near into his presence. And he defends his honor. So this is what we read here in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Now the key question that we'll spend a little bit of time. So what is a strange fire? Yes. Okay. It's interesting that you can read actually a lot of uh, conversation in the academic world about strange fire. Was it the fire, was it an unclean fire? Was it the fire outside of the camp? Was it the fire non-organic, organic? So I want us to think through how would we answer biblically? Okay, and the answer is really in the text. I, as I was preparing for this class, I, I went through my notes and I, I have preached on this text about five years ago. So I went back and I look at my answer, how I explained it at that time, and I was not very satisfied. <laughs> uh, my answer five years ago was, well, it doesn't matter. God doesn't give us the details. Um, so we should really focus on the entire scripture. It's a general answer, but it's not an answer. So I want us to, um, well, the answer is really what Brother Danny said, but let us observe in the text. It's very interesting as we've been studying both Exodus and Leviticus to see the emphasis that scripture places for us on certain words or certain phrases. So let us again look at the context and let us retrace our steps as we think about what happened and why, what are the lessons eventually for us. As we read the end of Exodus, where um, you remember there were two men chosen, one from the tribe of Ephraim and one from Judah. They were um, endowed by God's spirit uh, to finish or to oversee really the, the preparation for the tabernacle. Yeah, so I'm not going to ask us to read, but I, I'm going to bring all this entire slide here. Oops, too fast. 
Notice what is repeated in chapter 39. So as you're going to read, I would encourage you to read chapters 39 and 40, and then chapters 8 and 9 of Leviticus. But notice what is repeated here. The same phrase. So they would do, okay, the uh, two who were in charge of preparation for the tabernacle, just as the Lord had commanded Moses at every single instance. And at the end of chapter 39, we read, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the end of the meeting was completed. And the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. I'm going to use the coloring today to help us see the point in text. As we move forward to um, chapter 39 and chapter 40, uh, notice uh, again, so the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, and Moses examined all their work, and behold, they had done it just as the Lord had commanded, as they had done. So Moses blessed them. Chapter 40, verse 16 Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. Moses eventually assembled the tabernacle with the help of Aaron, uh, all the pieces, everything, just as the Lord had commanded him. If we are to read through uh, really what it meant um, or the details of what Moses did in, in chapter 40, verses 17 through 21, now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony. Why? Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, we continue to read. In, uh, then he put the tabernacle in the tent of meeting on the north side. No, he put the table uh, on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread in order out on the table uh, before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, again, just as the Lord had commanded him. We'll continue in 26 through 30. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned the fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. He offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering, just as the Lord commanded Moses. He placed the lever between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they entered the tent of meeting. And when they approached the altar, they washed just as Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. 
Thus Moses finished the work. So this is really the starting of Leviticus. And repeatedly, the author reminds and repeats the same phrase, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, if we fast forward to Leviticus 8, we will see the same repetition. So when it comes to the ordination of the priests, uh, Moses is following the instructions of the Lord. And in these verses, we read again and again, he did just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the thing which the Lord had commanded to do. So we come to the conclusion of chapter 8. And we will read in verses 34 and 36, the Lord had commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. This is what Moses tells to Aaron. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you will not die. For I have been commended. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. So if we move forward to chapter 9, Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord had commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you, 9.6. And then we read 9.7 and 9.10. The same thing, that they do just as the Lord commanded. Now we go to chapter 10. Verse 1, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. And here's the explanation, which the Lord has not commanded before them. So the point of the text is not really for us to spend the debate, what is a strange fire? But the point of the text, what do we do with God's instructions? What did they do with God's instructions? And what do we do with God's instructions? You do not add, you do not subtract. Now there are some who would say uh, they probably were drunk because in chapter 10, uh, verse 10, there is a, instruction for the priests will to not get drunk so they can uh, discern and instruct people what is holy what is profane what is common um, i don't necessarily think again from textually because they were just ordained they did not step outside of the tent of the meeting they remain at the tabernacle area so they would not have time to get drunk but god gives instructions for the future but really, their sin, sin of Nadab and Abihu, they did something that the, the Lord has not commanded them to do. While they have had a plethora, multiple instructions to do what God has commanded them to do, they chose to do something on top of that, outside of that. So as we really consider Nadab and Abihu, I want us to look at a few other examples. And really the relationship of God's word, obedience to God's word, and the consequences when it comes to the disobedience. 
What would be some examples that you can think of? Moses, okay. Adam and Eve. Well, let us start with Adam and Eve. It is very interesting when we look at Adam and Eve. The question the serpent asked Eve, surely did God say? Notice that serpent did not come with a philosophical ideology of the days. He really came with a question about the word of God. And if you read Eve's response, she said, well, not to eat or not even touch it. So if we are to think how it is important for us to handle the Word of God and to be precise with the Word of God. Well, a great example is Adam and Eve. Their one deviation, their slightest deviation, brought the entire humanity into, under the curse of sin. What would be another example? How many of you have read uh, the Psalms written by the sons of Korah? This is definitely uh, God's redemptive purpose and His grace uh, as they continue to minister in the temple. But they are pro-pro uh, or grand-grand-grand-grand-grandfather. He was one of the Levites who was not satisfied with God's choice and God's portion for Levites. He wanted to be a priest. So he, uh, had a, uh, he won a public vote of two other fellows, Dathan and Abiram. So they decided to challenge Moses and Aaron. And here in Numbers chapter 16, we can read that um, So Moses instructs them and says, do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them and lay incense. They should have remembered what happened to Adab and Abihu. It didn't happen too far, maybe a generation or two. Actually, yes, it happened after the, the spies went to the, to the lands, after the Numbers 15. Still, within the generation, exactly same terminology. So this is what Moses instructs them and says, bring your incense to the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. So you remember what happens next? How many people were burned by fire of the Lord? 250 men. They forgot the lesson of two. On top of that, there were two families, two really households. They were uh, swallowed by the earth. Somebody said Moses and Aaron. So we just, uh, again, keep going to Numbers chapter 20. People of Israel ran out of water, not because they were not going green and did not follow any ecological protocol of our days. 
they just happened to travel in the wilderness and they really had the bitter water. So God instructs Moses, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before the eyes, before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water from this, from, for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he commanded him. And if the text would stop here, we would be very excited. But God continues for us. So Moses comes so far in obedience. And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation their beasts drank. People are satisfied. Their needs are met. Yeah, but nobody really pays attention to the instruction that the Lord has given. It is God who cares for his word. Why? Because he's holy God. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Again, the holiness of God and his word. First uh, Samuel chapter 6, we read about residents of Beth Shemesh. It was... Uh, agrarian community at the time it would, they would border the Philistines and you remember the ark of the Lord came from the Philistines because they, the, the hand of the Lord was upon the Philistines so they recognized that God is judging them and it has to do with the ark so they send ark back uh, it's a really fascinating story because uh, the cows that just have calves the text says that they were walking on the path, not turning to the right or to the left. Unlike people of Israel, because that was the instruction through Joshua, uh, to listen to God's word and not to turn to the right or to the left. So the cows are obedient, unlike Israel. Now, the cow, cows, they stopped at the, this uh, community of Beth Shemesh, and people were very curious. So they decided to pick inside the ark, and the text says over 50,000 of them died. Why? They should have known better. Because the Lord has given them instructions how to handle the ark, who should come near. Somebody mentioned David. Well, David, because the ark never came to Jerusalem, so David uh, wanted to bring the ark. And he assembled the company... Uzzah was one of the men who was responsible to bring the ark. What was the means to, carry, to bring the ark? I gave, gave out the word. It's supposed to be carried. Well, they didn't do that. They put on the cart, and the, and the, the cart, the animal was pulling the cart, and the ark was traveling. So it came to the point where uh, they did not have a perfect pavement like we have in Kent. Uh, so the, uh, the wheels uh, stumbled, 
and the ark was about to fall, fall down. So Uzzah decided to stretch out his arm and hold the ark. He did a, a brave move on one hand, but very foolish. Because he, in his audacity, thought that his hand was more pure than the holy ark. Or he, the ground would be, or his hand would be better than the ground for the ark. He misjudged. It cost him his life. David was extremely mad. So for three months, the ark stayed uh, in Kiryat Yarim, in another community, really town. And the Lord blessed that household where ark stayed. And three months later, they did, following the instructions that the Lord has given, carrying the ark to Jerusalem. Well, it was only in the Old Testament, God is judging people. In the New Testament, he is everything but love. Except when we start the reading book of Acts and we come across um, chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Whom did they lie to? They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. It's, again, a very interesting emphasis and God judged them. They both were struck dead. Uh, what was the reputation for their church? Nobody wanted to join the membership. But it's interesting, the Acts says, and the Lord keep, kept adding. So all the superficial, uh, superficial religion of the day, they got the lesson. Do not join the church. But those who are genuinely saved, they would come and become members of that congregation because they understood the holiness of God and how they ought to come before God. Probably not the last one, but really last in the, in the scriptures. A judgment at the white throne. It is very interesting that uh, in Revelation chapter 20, it says that everyone, either living or dead, they would come and they would stand before the holy God and he will judge how? According to what they have done. See, people have the word of God. They know the truth of God. They are created in the image of God. They have no excuse before God. They do not follow God's instruction and they will be judged for that. So the question for us, how should we walk in the presence of the Holy God? Even though Leviticus took place many centuries ago, Bible tells us very clearly God is still absolutely perfectly holy. His expectations, his demands, his standards have not changed. Before you answer that question, I just wanted to introduce you a quote from a person who struggled with this question. It is dangerous to assume that because a person is drawn to holiness in his study that he is thereby a holy man. Beloved, we need to have a, a true humility because that's true of all of us here. There is irony here, Dr. Spoll writes, 
I am sure that the reason I have a deep hunger to learn of the holiness of God is precisely because I am not holy. I'm a profane man, a man who spends more time out of, he, out of his temple than in it, out of that temple than in it. But I have had just enough of taste of the majesty of God to want more. Is this true of you? Did you taste God's majesty and beauty and glory and even holiness that you desire in your heart to know more, to live out his holiness? I know what it means to be forgiven man and what it means to be sent on a mission. My soul cries for more. My soul needs more. On one hand, beloved, we come into the presence of God's holiness with a sheer fear. It is a terrifying reality to be in the presence of God. How many of you have had the opportunity to visit Grand Canyon? A few of you. I have a fear when I look down from the third floor. So when we went to the Grand Canyon, uh, even though they had the, on the edge of the rim, they would have the bars and you can come close and look down. I would stay as far as I could. Beloved God is far greater than Grand Canyon. He is far more majestic in his glory and majesty and beauty. So how do we as Christians today approach him? Just a few lessons. These are not all inclusive. Um, and I'm sure you can add more to this. We need to cultivate the reverence and the fear of the Lord in our hearts. You see Nadab and Abihu, they had a very casual approach that morning. You know, their familiarity with God was very deadly. We can also have the same familiarity. You know, we've been members of East Church Baptist or attended at least the church. Well, you know, we can go back decades. And when we come to worship, uh, we can be very casual, not reverent. We need to be mindful when we come on Sunday, we do not come before the presence of the pastor that is far greater than the one whose presence we seek. Just another really obvious lesson. We need to pay attention to God's commands. When people saying on the streets, oh, I can, there are many ways to God. In some ways they are true. There is only one safe way. All the other ways are extremely deadly. So God has commanded us which way is a safe way. This is the only way we can come into his presence. We need to remember his discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, as a loving father, he still disciplines his children. These examples are given to us for instruction for discipline, that we would not be wavered children. We may present ourselves uh, 
dignified and holy in, in the church here in the gathering of the saints, uh, except when we go outside in our homes, uh, our life is everything but holy. And that is not consistent with the character of God. And God expects and demands of us that we would walk in His holiness. Otherwise, if we are truly the children of God, He will bring the discipline to our life. He will not tolerate sin because we bear His name. We need to honor His holiness. We need to serve God with reverence and godly fear. And we need to draw to God through Christ. Never come without blood. Never come on your own. Always come through Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 is well, probably one of the verses I, I always go back and, and remember. It's, it's interesting that the text encourages us, commands us to draw near, to be bold. On the other hand, text tells us about the, the high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who was tempted in all regards except sin. And that high priest is Jesus Christ. It's interesting that when the ministry of high priests in the Old Testament would fail, the wrath of God would go out of the tabernacle to judge people because holy God cannot abide in the midst of sin. But the ministry of a, a better high priest, Jesus Christ, he satisfied the wrath of God once and for all. Because, because he in his life lived obediently. His death, he died unjustly, bearing our sins. And now he continues to intercede for us, our high priest. So for us, there is no excuse not to come into the presence of God. Because Christ made the way. In Hebrews chapter 13, chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12, it tells us to uh, worship him with reverential awe. Even though we may have a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord and not be consumed, it does not allow us to treat him casually. He is never any less than holy. We have a few more minutes, and I want us to close, not with questions, but with prayer. How should we pray in light of God's holiness, in light of severity of His judgment and discipline, in light of His grace that He has given to us through Christ, I want you to think one sentence prayer. And I will open, I'll ask Ryan if you could start. Okay, one sentence prayer. And as God, as you would like to pray, you have this opportunity to come before God's holiness through Christ. And I'll close. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we want to say amen to all these prayers and even prayers that were not spoken out loud. As Jesus was instructing the disciples to pray, saying, pray this way, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your character and your majesty, as it is revealed in the pages of the scriptures, uh, tell us about the glory and the holiness of your name. As we have the blessed privilege to come into your presence, holy God, through Christ, I pray that you help us to cultivate holiness, not because we are terrified of eternal judgment, but because we love you. You redeemed us. You enable us to walk holy. And Lord, and as we struggle with sin, I pray that you help us to be quick to confess it and to apply in our lives the means of God's grace, uh, relying on the ministry of the Holy Spirit who produces in us Christ-likeness and holiness in the practical aspects every single day. I pray that you give us grace as a church and pray for the leaders here at this church that uh, we would be holy, would be an example to the congregation and a reputation of us as the East Church Baptist Church would be that this is a holy church. And anyone who would come here, they would recognize that this is where holy God comes to meet with his people. I pray that you give us grace to proclaim the truth of the gospel, that only through Christ, this is the only way that people can ever dwell in the presence of the holy God and not be destroyed. I am grateful, Lord, that you not only spared us because you punished Christ, but you adapted us to be your children. And for this, we are so grateful. Amen.